You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in Arizona Cardinals fans. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we're coming to you, it should be out by Wednesday, uh, if you're listening to us at least. Uh, so anywhere around the world, you know, it may be a little later than that. Uh, we talk all about the Arizona Cardinals. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. And uh, joined by my co-host, Johnny Venerable. Uh, you can follow him at that at on Twitter as well to talk about a Cardinals loss. They're not going to go undefeated against the Seattle Seahawks this year. Uh, it's normally the opposite of what we've seen. Cardinals have tended to win their games on the road in Seattle and drop their games to the Seahawks at home. But we're here to talk about a 28-21 loss to the Seahawks. Uh, John, how are you doing? And uh, overall, how did you feel about this Cardinals game? Because I saw most Cardinals fans for the most point. Uh, even though the team had a chance to tie it up and go into overtime again, many fans were very disappointed by the outcome of this game. Yeah, it's, you know, there are a lot of emotions that came out of this one. And, it, you know, the fact that you have to kind of contextualize with it, the fact that the team had roughly four days to prepare for a very difficult road game, a road game that I thought by the sense of urgency, Seattle wanted more. They had just lost in embarrassing fashion to division rival the LA Rams and did not want to suffer a third straight loss, which, oh, by the way, Russell Wilson still has not uh, in his career. Um, And the line up to this game was starting at four and ended up dropping to about two and a half in favor of Seattle. So uh, the Sharks in Vegas liked Arizona more than more than most. Here's what I'll say. The Cardinals could have very easily won this game. Um, But I think we've learned, Blake, that if you're going to attempt to unseat a team like Seattle, take the baton and and establish yourself as, you know, the new contender in the NFC West or the new favorite, I should say, you got to play close to perfect football to beat them at their own game. And that's nationally televised. That's Thursday night football. That's on a short week. And the Cardinals were fortunate to get the victory earlier this season at home. Um, But you look at this game, Blake, I mean, it was, there to be one for this team. And they just, you know, I, if you're going to slay the dragon, you got to bring your best. And the Cardinals didn't have their best. Now we could talk on and on about their lapses defensively. The fact that their personnel up front on the defensive line is subpar to say the least. But to me, Blake, I think this, this game was won and lost. I believe it was late in the fourth quarter, mid fourth quarter. It's 23 to 21. The Cardinals have an opportunity, even though they get the ball within inside their own five to seven yard line, they have an opportunity to, to put points on the board with this drive against a susceptible Seattle defense and at least take the lead with a field goal. And what ended up happening was the pass protection, which probably had its worst night of the season, broke down, eventually getting the holding penalty on J.R. Sweezy in the end zone. Um, but actually a play before that, Kyler had set up beautifully a screen to Dan Ardle on the left side. Dan, for whatever reason, doesn't um, sell it well enough. Seattle sniffs it out. And so you've got a scenario in which the Cardinals end up giving two points back to Seattle and the football. And listen, give the Cardinal defense credit. They didn't play particularly well in the first half. They were undermanned on a short week. 
you know, if you would have asked me before the game if Seattle only scored 28 points, I thought the Cardinals would have a really good chance of winning this game. To me, it was the inefficiencies of the offense, which Blake, in my opinion, has no excuse. They've got an MVP caliber player at quarterback. All of their receivers and backs are healthy now. Their offensive line is fully intact to what it was at the start of this year. To only put up 21 points against the Seattle defense that's statistically one of the worst in all of the NFL, I think was where the game was was lost. You got opportunities there late in the fourth quarter, multiple stops that your defense got for you, especially late in the game when you talk about you know forcing Seattle to kick a field goal, something they didn't want to do late in the game. You could go down and you were seemingly moving the ball at will eventually just to kind of collapse all over yourself inside roughly the 30-yard line for Seattle. I think I think most of us thought that they'd be able to punch the ball in and score there um, and move this to overtime. But it was just one of those games where I think the Cardinals looked gassed. They looked emotionally spent from the Buffalo game. The offensive line, like I mentioned, the interior did not play well. You lean on your veteran players to carry you through games like this. And Justin Pugh in particular had a very disappointing game, multiple penalties, the penalties themselves, Blake, have begun to add up, and they're really affecting this team's ability to put teams away. But what I will say is that the Cardinals, I think, have shown over these two games with Seattle that they're very much in Seattle's class, and I think the, the margin for error, again, is small when you play a team with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll at the helm. But certainly, this looks like a team that every year should compete with Seattle and the games like we've seen in both instances should go down to the wire. And that's a far cry from where this team was two years ago. They're still at 6-4 and four and on their way to the postseason, barring a, you know, a monumental collapse after being 5-2. and two. They're, they're a competitive team, and they've taken a step forward from last year. I think where the majority of us get frustrated is we just assumed, or at least I did, that they had arrived early that they had a chance to knock off Seattle and make a big leap this year in route to maybe a division title. And then we look up and down on this roster, and it's very top-heavy. You've got Murray, you've got Hopkins, you've got some nice players defensively like, you know, Buda Baker and, and some of these other players that we really like. And then there's a gap, and the gap is made up of the haves and the have-nots, meaning You've got some guys who should probably be on the roster, but maybe not have the role that they have. Maybe they should be start, or excuse me, backups instead of starters. And then there's probably about five to ten guys on a 53-man roster for this team right now who probably shouldn't be on an NFL roster. Certainly not on a contending NFC West roster. And so this team needs reinforcements. They need another offseason. I still like their chances again to get to ten wins. But again, if you're going to slay the dragon of the Seattle Seahawks like we saw with the San Francisco 49ers last year, you've got to have a complete roster. And right now, Blake, the Cardinals don't have that. John, well, I think what we've talked about earlier is the Cardinals can be a good team this year, but it's difficult to see there being any really truly great teams in the NFC. Most of that is you look at every team right now outside of the NFC East is probably about one to two games back from essentially being able to be tied or take over from the lead. It's so crazy. In one week, the Cardinals went from the third-ranked team in the NFC tumbling all the way down to seventh. Now there's a two-game buffer in between them and the next team. But overall, it's very, very top-heavy in the NFC this year. And that's where there's a whole lot, I think, to be able to talk about in terms of 
the Cardinals being able to develop into a Super Bowl team, into a winning team. On one hand, you want to say there's got to be like, you know, times that you can look at this team and say, hey, like you got to be self-critical. There was over 100 yards in penalties on the team. Uh, some penalties, at least you can look at and say, yeah, maybe I, I disagreed with some of those calls. Maybe you can say the refs called a game that went against you. But that's no excuse because every team's going to have those. You're also going to get times where the refs will call games and maybe even give you a win that goes in your favor. What Arizona has to do, I think, is be able to take a deep, hard look at cutting off the chaff. Uh, Previously, John, the Cardinals were not in a position, I think, where you could be able to evaluate who they were, what they were. Everyone was, you know, you had two rookie quarterbacks the past two years. You had an injury to Carson Palmer in 2017. Uh, You're talking about a team that over the last few years have kind of been trying to find out who they are. And what we've seen that's come out of it has been an identity in the running game. We've been able to see Cliff be able to put up massive yards on the ground, be able to be very efficient, and then kind of utilize the passing game off of that. What we saw on Thursday night was the Cardinals going and essentially Seattle taking away that identity and Arizona needing to be forced to adapt. You saw 18 carries for 57 yards total. Uh, We haven't talked about it yet, but Kyler Murray took a big hit earlier in the game. Uh, He went from carrying the ball, you know, 11 times against Buffalo to only five times in this game uh, for 15 yards total. Uh, No big runs for Kyler. It was a far cry from what we've previously seen. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury even said that they kind of didn't call as many running plays trying to protect him. And what we still saw overall was Kyler ended up outdoing Russ in terms of maybe pure production. Now, a lot of that may be game script. You could say, you know, Russ completed 23 of 28 for under 200 yards. Uh, Kyler, at least, completed 29 of 42. But the Cardinals did have to throw the ball a lot more. And as a result, you kind of saw without the run game, uh, they had that one big penalty on the intentional grounding followed up by the sack. I should say the uh, safety in the end zone on that holding call. On the other side, Seattle was able to basically take advantage with 31 rushes for 165 yards. It really reminded me a lot, John, of the Carolina Panthers game, not in terms of Arizona getting, you know, dissected through the run and through the air, or even with a running quarterback that we saw with Teddy Bridgewater. But it made me think of when the offensive line up front for the Cardinals gets bullied around and you're able to get pressure with four While keeping Kyler Murray essentially bottled up, you have to force them to then beat you with the passing. And what we've seen with those two games so far this year, uh, the Cardinals have not really, against good opponents, been able to beat them in the passing game. And that's, I think, something that's worrisome for people looking at this team. You're talking about going up against a backup corner on either side for Seattle. And essentially, Larry Fitzgerald, who's your slot guy over the middle, who usually can draw a safety or a linebacker, is your leading receiver at eight catches for 62 yards. That's just one of those things that can't really happen. While Seattle's defense did break down a couple of times, we got to see, you know, a Chase Edmonds touchdown that was wide open. We got to see a great play design that got Max Williams the football. This is kind of a snoozer game for the Cardinals, where, like you said, they essentially let Seattle into the game in the second half with those five points and took away any chance that the Cardinals have. Now, I will say this, John. 
We also have to look at the fact that against the Seattle team on the road on a short week, we're probably a pass that's thrown a bit sooner by Kyler Murray to Andy Isabella that's caught for a touchdown and then maybe an ensuing, you know, two-point conversion or an overtime field goal or something kind of miraculous from, you know, talking about the Andy Isabella-DK Metcalf game. Uh, DK Metcalf went off against the Cardinals, not in terms of total yards. He only had three catches for 46 yards. But when you factor in a 50-plus yard penalty from Patrick Peterson grabbing the jersey, it did kind of feel like this for a lot of Cardinals fans, you know, seeing him get beaten. I think a lot of people ultimately had soured on Peterson, even though I, I don't think he did as bad of a job as we thought. I think it was just a sloppy defensive style game that Seattle came out to win with their brand of football keep Russell Wilson from turning the ball over. And overall, John, it worked very effectively for at least the first time I think we've seen for Seattle all season. Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, Blake, for this team to be competitive week in and week out, they have to cut down on the mistakes. The the penalties, to me, I think are starting away on this team. And when when you have consistently put yourself – I mean, the, the best teams in the NFL – minimize their penalty because it also allows them to have a bigger margin for error. And with the Cardinals, we've been so accustomed of seeing Kyler make these plays on second and long, third and long, and just kind of erase mistakes with his legs and his arm. And when he was compromised, the offensive line was compromised on, on Thursday night. You can't put yourself in a position where you're consistently behind the eight ball. And then you combine that, like you mentioned, Blake, with their inability to run the football effectively. Kenyon Drake, 11 for 29. Uh, I thought Chase Edmonds probably deserved a little bit more of a look in the running game. But it, it felt like they kind of abandoned it after a while. And the passing game was clicking in the second half. They outscored Seattle 14 to 12 in the second half. But just too many drives that, that ended in, you know, three and outs, inconsistencies up front up front. They just they never really felt like they got into a groove until it was too late. And what I would take away from this game, the biggest thing is well, you've split with Seattle. You still got a winning record. Kyler Murray to me, even with the injury, is playing just tremendous football, did not have an interception or a fumble, whereas Russell Wilson could have turned it over twice with with two fumbles. To me, the biggest thing is where is the identity, like you mentioned, offensively? Can we get back to a point where we're having a nice balance with the run game? Because as you as you look ahead, and I know we're not going to preview the game on this pod, but Bill Belichick and the New, New England Patriots, they're going to do much of the same and try to take away what Kyler in this offense does best. And so you need to be able to put your nose to the grindstone and, and churn out those tough rushing yards and let Kyler work out of a clean pocket. Because when you're only running eight times for 57 yards, he's more susceptible to getting hit. And he was sacked three times. They're still last in the NFL in terms of total hits allowed on the quarterback, or should I say first. So they're getting the job done. And this again, this was a difficult environment, even though they had no fans. Quick turnaround. Everybody needed 10 days off. But I think, number one, Blake, you mentioned DK Metcalf being targeted. I would like to see more of an effort, especially after the Buffalo emergence, to get DeAndre Hopkins more involved. And I think one of the most disappointing outcomes was the fact that Seattle was down multiple corners in their secondary, and the Cardinals were not able to take advantage of that. Um, And I think much of that can be contributed to the inefficiencies in the pass protection. Uh, I didn't think Kelvin Beecham played particularly well. Both guards had a tough night. And so when you think about even if the the receivers are, are running free, you know, Kyler can't make accurate throws and, and he'll mail a couple because 
he, he got hit too often. And so uh, even Seattle with their susceptible pass rush, you know, give them credit. Carlos Dunlap had two sacks. He's been a force for them since their acquisition. He's not much in coverage, but Jamal Adams is a physical player in the front seven and, and was able to apply a quarterback hit. So, again, if this team played again, I'd like the Arizona's chances. And who knows, maybe down the line they meet each other in the postseason. But to me, again, if you're going to compete and beat Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson consistently, you have to do it by running the football and limiting your mistakes, both from a pass protection standpoint and a penalty standpoint. I can deal with the defensive effort that we got, Blake, given the circumstances. And if you want to take away the safety, the defense really only gave up 26 points. You had Isaiah Simmons flying around. He played his best game of the year with 10 total tackles to lead. The team had a sack, two tackles for loss, a quarterback hit. He looks like an emerging star like we thought all along. You know, Patrick Peterson had a rough go of it. But, you know, as you mentioned, who are they going to play? People knocking Drake Kirkpatrick for the for the bonehead penalty that, that gave Seattle a touchdown instead of a field goal. Who, who At this point, people want to bench him or cut him. They don't have anybody else that's that's really capable. Um, you know, Hassan Reddick and Marcus Golden, they were fairly quiet. Um, and then you, you talk about their defensive line. When you're going from your defensive line to start the year, that was Zach Allen, Corey Peters, and Jordan Phillips, and you thought that unit was a strength to now you're starting Angelo Blackson and Michael Dogby and Josh Morrow, that's a problem. And even though Blackson and Dogby had sacks, Seattle really took advantage of that. We knew they would rush for 23 times for almost 200 yards, or excuse me, 31 times for 165 yards. That's going to be the recipe that teams try to invoke the rest of the season on this Cardinal defense because, number one, the Cardinals don't have blue-chip defensive linemen right now. Jordan Phillips is out on IR. That's been a major disappointment. We'll see if Zach Allen's able to come back this week. They've made a couple additions. And then also, running the football keeps the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands. And it, it disables Kyler Murray from being able to come in and utilize the quick score and get out of rhythm offensively. So there, there are a lot of things to, to clean up. But all in all, I thought the defensive effort by Joseph and company was good enough to win. And at this point, when you're the Cardinals and you're the number one scoring offense in all of football, that should be enough. The Cardinals in this game, you felt like that they played one of their worst games of the year, and yet they still had a chance to win it in the end. I would even go a step further and say that I think that the Cardinals ultimately gave up um, six points, I think, in total. If you look at the fact that we're talking about two points from the safety, and also there's an additional four points that came because the Cardinals had gotten the Seahawks off the field, and Drake Patrick gets baited by DK Metcalf, essentially into a, a taunting penalty. Uh, the refs obviously did not get back at Metcalf, despite the fact that he went and struck out toward uh, Kirkpatrick. Probably should have been offsetting penalties, been fourth down anyway, and then declined. But instead, you just can't get drawn into one of those type of things when you're off the field. Cardinals give up a touchdown on that drive. You at least took, uh, uh, at least, you know, uh, you know, Jason Myers had made every field goal that season so far. The assumption is he's going to make that one. Uh, but it's one of those aspects when you talk about stuff, John, penalties, you're right. The penalties, at least for this team, has brought up a lot of questions. Uh, as far as, is this team just an undisciplined team? Now, I've brought up and kind of talked about how, uh, this is something I remember on Twitter, that became a conversation, was is, is Cliff like as a, players coach is this something at least that the cardinals need to kind of find like more of a disciplinarian does cliff need to you know take a change go off on the sideline a bit more is this kind of too much of a you know friendly undisciplined environment and i think that that's kind of up for debate 
my overall feeling is that I think the penalties follow as far as talent goes. Like, if you're going to be a defensive lineman who's rushing the passer, who, you know, is trying to time the snap count, you get off on a false start, get baited into it, you don't stay disciplined. Or if you're an offensive lineman holding or a DB committing a penalty downfield because you're trying not to get beat. I feel like that a lot of that is ultimately a talent issue when it comes to it, in part because, like, you know, the coaches aren't staying there on the sideline. You know, we, we remember with Bruce Arians, like, player fumbles a football, turns it over, or d- commits a dumb penalty. He just sits him down, benches him sometimes. They'll end up in the doghouse. We would talk about that a lot. I think that's kind of the old school idea of football. Really, when it comes down to it, I think a lot of it can sometimes be that penalties end up coming up and popping up when teams are undisciplined. But some of that discipline, I do think, comes with having players who are just better than the other players. But I think that there's a little bit of both, John. What do you feel like it is? Is this a spot where the Cardinals, like, Peterson's holding on the jersey because he let Metcalf go, that you've got an angry Drake Kirkpatrick, at least, for that sideline, who's having to get pulled back by his teammates because he's just not being coached well enough to stay down there. What is it behind the Cardinals with all of these penalties? And what, then, is the solution to try to fix them, do you think? I, you know, it, that's attention to detail. It's it's one of those things where you look at the best coach teams in the NFL, like the New England Patriots, for so long they limited their penalties. They did not beat themselves. And when you are the Arizona Cardinals, I just mentioned it. Like the Cardinals have enough elite talent offensively to cover up mistakes when it comes to the penalties. It's not efficient, but defensively they don't. And so you see them if they give up a you know a holding call or pass interference or whatever. We just chalk it up to you know what that's probably going to end in a touchdown. This drive is probably a wash. So I think it's it's a combination of coaching. It's a combination of lack of talent. I think guys feel like they have to make penalties at certain points of the game just to limit the damage. Um, and I, I worry about it more so on the defensive side. I, I just offensively, I think, you know, for the most part, the O-line has been very good this year. Um, they don't make a ton of mistakes from a holding standpoint. I think the majority of the frustration that we see is pass interference calls, out of position, false start, offside, encroachment. Um, I, I, I think I would probably put 70% of the blame on the defense. And like I just mentioned, do we think the defense is well coached? No, we do not with Vance Joseph. Do we think they have elite personnel uh, top to bottom in that unit? 11 guys? No, they probably have you know four to five guys that we really, really like. And then the rest of them, you could probably take it or leave it on a given Sunday. So I, I just, I, I understand the frustration, but I would also challenge Cardinal fans to use a little bit of patience because we've got a, a very young and experienced head coach at the NFL level. We've got a defensive coordinator that, you know, right now is is probably going to stick around, but we don't know. They've got a lot of big, important games coming up down the stretch against capable offenses that could sh- show him, you know, his pink slip at the end of the year. So I think that if there's ever a week to be concerned about it, um, it's this week against New England because of the fact that Bill Belichick will exploit you in so many different facets and the Cardinals can't be a victim to penalties in New England, especially when New England doesn't have their traditional home field advantage with no fans. But I I think it's just one of those things, Blake, where it usually these kind of things come with a young undisciplined team that's talented. It's one thing to be young and undisciplined, but at least the Cardinals are talented enough to get away with it on certain weeks. 
but I would just say that they they do not have good enough coaching or good enough players yet to 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 ride this ship out. That's just my personal opinion. It's too hard for subpar defensive players to cover these elite playmakers offensively and not commit not commit penalties. That's so I don't I don't know if it's correctable this year. What Cardinals I think have to figure out is what players do they need to keep as far as with coming into next year? Because right now with how the Cardinals are, they have got a great opportunity, I think, in the next two years. Um, and you got to take advantage of that now through the rest of the season. The NFC, the Cardinals are only two behind the number one seed. It's pretty wide open. Um, what I think that we want to look at, though, as far as when the future comes, a lot of it, like you said, is I think on one hand, you'll take a look at, you know, there's players like, like uh, I did a quick count. For the likes of the Cardinals this year, the number of penalties that have been assessed, there's been seven, which is second most in the NFL on Justin Pugh. It's also been another five, I believe, on um, DJ Humphreys. And then there's another four also on Kelvin Beach. And you throw in, at least as I know, four for Kyler Murray. There's also some that we've had on Patrick Peterson, I believe, has had four. And then the other player in Drake Kirkpatrick has had four. If you look at those players right there, you're talking about, you know, two stalwarts on the offensive line and two veteran cornerbacks. Those guys are usually always, A, going to get more penalties than most will just because of the nature of their position. Offensive lines are going to get flagged for holding quite a bit. You're going to see defensive backs get flagged for that quite a bit. But if you look at those players in positions, those are the veterans that you're really depending on to step up. And if that's going to be the case, that's something I think to look at as far as next year. It's going to be limited for where the cap is. Cardinals have a decision to make on the likes of a guy like Patrick Peterson. Um, I think that there's a lot that the Cardinals can do in terms of talking about, hey, like we need to be able to get some type of fresh blood or some other people in here for the long term. I'm not saying that'll make these penalties go away. I think it is also the, still the sign of a young team and also especially a young coaching staff that we're seeing is still making some mistakes. There's still, you know, too many 10 men on the field or occasional times we'll see a penalty or time just runs out on the Cardinals. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that pops up. What I want to talk a little bit now is kind of what we're going to look at is the, the decline of Patrick Peterson. And, you know, is it something that's legitimate or something that's being overstated a bit? And then some of this rise of Isaiah Simmons. Simmons is honestly, John, he had one of the best games of any Cardinals player, if not the best. He had the highest defensive grade overall for any player who had 20 snaps or more on the team. He was all over the field, was almost about to sack. You know, he had his first sack of the year, I think, with Russell Wilson, almost had a second one. And it was interesting as a contrast to the likes of Jordan Hicks, who did not play well as far as the tackling went. He also didn't play very well in terms of just against the run in general. It was probably one of his worst games, and he just looked very slow out there. A lot of what we got to see last year with Hicks was, even though he wasn't kind of the guy you'd put on a tight end to cover, He'd still be at least in the right place, in the right time to make the tackle. And this game, it just wasn't in the cards for him. Uh, that's something at least that I think we'll have to monitor as Cardinals fans. Devondre Campbell was okay, but really it seemed like he did take a backseat to Simmons. Peterson, on the other hand, it seemed like when you look at the Carlos Hyde touchdown, you look at some of the other plays to Metcalf, it very much seemed to me like Peterson just... A lot of what the Seahawks did was they tried to attack him in terms of tackling and force him to separate from guys and make the tackle, and he just had a poor game with that as well. Yeah, I think that's something we've always kind of critiqued a little bit about Peterson. He's much more of that smooth, fluid guy. Uh, you got to kind of to be an all-around corner, be willing to stick your nose in there. Is this a spot, though, where Peterson is kind of on his way out from Arizona, or is it something like we've talked about where – 
this is more just kind of a sign of the times, and we're still going to be expecting, you know, Simmons to have an impact next year, Peterson to be back at least next year at the cards. But what do you think is kind of going to be on fans' minds as we weigh what to make out of seeing this kind of emergent player on defense and seeing kind of the Cardinals essentially prime player on defense seeming like the, this might be kind of, is, is this the last trip that we see of him with the Cardinals? Yeah, it's the transition from the old guard to the new guard. It's what we've teased for some time. And listen, I, Patrick Peterson, hang his numbers up in the rafter, um, wish him well, and let him hit free agency as a 30-year-old corner who's lost a step and is going to command you know, a big-money contract. I, I just think the Cardinals are going to be best spent letting him walk. I think they will let him walk. In back-to-back weeks, he's looked exposed versus two different very types of receivers, right? Stephon Diggs and um, Beasley, both more shifty in what they do. And then DK Metcalf, that was just much more physical. But the same result ended with Peterson giving up explosive plays and touchdowns. And I I am sympathetic to the notion that, you know, his counterparts in the secondary outside of some, some moments from Byron Murphy aren't great. They don't have much of a pass rush to speak of. He's not able to make consistent plays on the football. And he is still their very their their number one corner. But the cap number he has this year of $13 million, he's going to want to at least stay in the eight-figure range moving into his next contract, which is just something the Cardinals should not and will not abide by. Now, if he wanted to come back for some kind of discount, that's one thing, but I don't think, I don't think that's in the cards. And, and Peterson, as savvy as of, of a player as he is, it just his athleticism is only going to get worse. As you enter your 30s as a defensive back, it doesn't begin to improve. Um, and unless you have, you know, an, an all-star level front seven, which the Cardinals do not, that can consistently apply pressure and mask some of Peterson's inefficiencies, uh, you're you're investing the money in, in the wrong area. Corner is a young man's game, and, and the Cardinals need to reinvest, and we'll talk about that at a later date. So, um, I, you know, Peterson is going to be an, a focal part of this team. I think he's going to play a, a big role in hopefully getting them into the postseason for one last run, but uh, I do not expect him, him back next year. It's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I – I'll touch on Simmons here in a second, Blake, but I posted something you know, shortly after the game or, or 24 hours after the game. And I, you know, Over the Cap does a really nice job of just kind of cut and dry sh- signaling where your team is financially. And, and the, the four highest paid players for the Cardinals this year, based on their cap number, Peterson's number one at, at $13 million. Um, Larry Fitzgerald's number two at $11 million, $11.7 million. Jordan Hicks is making ten point five, as is Justin Pugh. And oh, by the way, uh, a name that would top all four of those, and I'm not knocking his play, but Chandler Jones is on injured reserve making $21.3 million. So there's five individuals that are not impacting your team really in a, in a super positive way this year. Your five most paid players, you're looking at a big offer for guys who are playing at a Pro Bowl-type level, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but the good news for the Cardinals is if they want to, and you can throw Kenyon Drake in this mix, he's the sixth highest paid player, and 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 J.R. Sweezy's, I believe, the eighth highest paid player, you can move off of all those individuals if you want to after next year or after this year, um, specific to Chandler Jones, which, I, of course, you want to keep him around for 2021. But let's just focus on Peterson, Fitzgerald, Hicks, and Justin Pugh. Um, Pugh has a very movable contract in terms of, of releasing him with very little dead money. Hicks as well. Fitzgerald's not under contract, and neither is Peterson. And I just think this team has enough emerging young talent in Buddha and Isaiah and, and DJ Humphreys and Kyler Murray, of course, Hopkins has already solidified himself. 
but just the, the Byron Murphys and the Christian Kirks. And, you know, we're excited about the maturation process for Mason Cole and, and Justin Murray's going to have a bigger role next year at right guard. And, and what, what about Josh Jones? They have a lot of these young players that they can, they can bring up or not bring up, but they can elevate their platform. And they're already being carried by so many now that you should feel good about where this team is headed moving forward because, and I hate to use the term dead weight, but the NFL is is very much of what have you done for me lately league. And the Cardinals can't be in the business of paying some of these older players because the results aren't there on Sunday. These are the players, whether it's by their salary or their play or both, that are weighing them down in these pivotal matchups. They need impact players at receiver, and they're not getting that from Larry Fitzgerald. I love Larry. He's not an $11.7 million player this year. Patrick Peterson isn't a $13 million corner. Jordan Hicks is not a, goodness, a $10.5 million inside linebacker. I don't know if he's a $5 million inside linebacker. Justin Pugh should be an all-pro guard at $10.5 million. He's going to end his Cardinal career likely with never even sniffing a Pro Bowl. I mean, that that's not good business, and the Cardinals have to be in a have to be in a position where they're addressing their needs with premium talent, and that's the difficult part with fishing and free agency. That's what's burned them this far with, with Jordan Phillips. But the good news is, Blake, the aforementioned Isaiah Simmons looks like a star in the making. He had some really good comments earlier this week about the fact that he considers himself a star, and, and that's the kind of mindset you want because he already, I, I'm comfortable saying he looks like their most athletic front seven player right now, and I know that's not saying much, but clearly since pro football focus uh, rankings in week six, he's the second highest rated inside linebacker in all football. I mean, think about that for a second. We're in, we're about to be coming into week 11. So for the oh, a little over a month, Isaiah Simmons has been basically one of, if not the best inside linebacker statistically in football. And I get, he hasn't played a ton of snaps, but we've seen enough just when he's on the field, he flashes like a gazelle. He's faster than any player they have defensively. He can intercept passes. He can rush the quarterback. He is maybe maybe their best tackler outside of Buda Baker. That that tackle he had on Tyler Lockett in the open field, I, I mean, goodness, Jordan Hicks couldn't make that 10 years ago, much less now. So I just I think that you, you insert athleticism and, and good things happen, and, and he is a definitive building block that they have now moving forward. A chess piece, somebody that's incredibly versatile. The best is yet to come. And, you know, of course, we're, we're banging our fists in frustration that the fact that he's not playing more but at the end of the day, they have a winning record now, and they've got Isaiah Simmons right where he belongs in that starting lineup. So for all the people that are asking, well, what do you do with Campbell? What do you do with Hicks? You know, I think there's a possibility you could jet set both of them, um, but I certainly think one of, if not both, will be gone. And and you just you need to continue to get faster and more athletic at that position to give yourself the best chance to, to win these kind of games that we saw on Thursday night against an uber-athletic quarterback that can move, and then these, these pass catchers, and these backs that are incredibly physical yet shifty in their motion. So I love Jordan Hicks. I thought that was a great sign in a year ago, but I also think it was probably a product of, you know, what we saw with a 5-10-1 team where he just racked up a lot of statistics that really that didn't mean a whole lot. And I hate to say that, and I don't want to sound critical, but Cardinals need players that are impact players now that are going to change games for the better for them. And thankfully for us, Blake, I, I believe Isaiah Simmons is one of those guys. Yeah, uh, he's at least gone spades in far as confidence, and we kind of had some of these expectations based on what we had heard and what had seen in camp that he was going to see a lot of playing time. Came out of the gate, wasn't all that impressive. Now it seems like he's finally able to fit in his role, and we're you know, seeing what I had hoped that we would see. He's not simply just being put back into the, um, the, the kind of role that we saw from 
Um, like you said, with Jordan Hicks of just having to be a Mike, he's not being put into a Devondre Campbell only covering guys downfield. We got to see him blitz and get a sack uh, last night, which is one more sack than Derek Brown has had on the season, despite you know the fact that he's played in, I think, I don't know, what is it like about – uh, some extreme, like maybe a third or less of the snaps even. I think it's even less than, than that, maybe a quarter of the snaps, which I think that's something at least that you can show as far as a positive with the youth and all of that team moving forward. Uh, I think it'd be more likely Campbell not being back, just looking at Hicks' contract situation and everything, and especially considering the fact of having a smart veteran in that tackling role. I, I agree with you, John. Probably be good for Arizona to take a look at the year following, get someone up to speed. Uh, it's good to be able to see that type of impact being made and good to see Arizona uh, kind of being able to just continue to add guys to this front seven, especially someone who is, like we said, when you go from linebackers at least who are like Hassan Reddick at inside linebacker did not have the instincts nor the coverage ability to play in that. Uh, putting guys in the positions that give them strengths is something that we've been asking for the Cardinals to kind of do since you know, since Steve Wilkes took over and they decided to shift around and make changes to a defense that really didn't need to make a whole lot of changes. I think a lot of what we can say for the Cardinals that was good news was because of the Buffalo Bills game with how that game ended and the, the Hale Murray, it kind of gave the Cardinals almost a bit of house money heading into the Seattle game because, hey, if you won the game, cool, you'll be at 7-3. and three. If you lost the game, all right, you're still at 6-4, and four, like you're still going above expectations. What's really going to shape those now, John, though, with this loss is going to be the next couple of upcoming games because every single loss that the Cardinals take, if you drop two in a row, that's what we said, is kind of the key to where you can potentially fade out. What I think I'm looking at for next year that will be most interesting is um, overall when you're talking about with Patrick Peterson and about Arizona moving on, I just kind of wonder, how is it you're going to be able to replace him? Because that's going to be the big thing. We saw when Byron Murphy came in. We talked about this, I think, on a previous pod he struggled a lot his rookie year. Like you can't just say, all right, we'll just go and draft a first round corner, bada bing, bada boom. There's a seven time pro bowler. That's you just immediately replaced. Uh, who would you replace him with John? Cause I, I'm looking at this list of the top free agents for next year. I think this was talked about on one of the shows. I think it was the Burns and Gambo show. We're talking about this for the Cardinals outside of Peterson. You've got Richard Sherman, Josh Norman, Logan Ryan is more of a slot guy. You've got a, a 30, what is it? 31, 32 year old, at least Jason McCourty, Maybe you go ahead and say, hey, let's toss some money at Brian Poole, see about a discount. DJ Hayden, the former first-round pick. Peterson essentially is probably the best guy of that list. And so you're like, okay, now you've got a decision. If you're not going to give him a long-term deal, if you're going to let him walk, are you going to try to see if do you want to try to look at a one-year deal as far as if he'll agree? I, I think he would try to look elsewhere. I, I, that's why I've said I feel like that it's a spot with that the franchise tag may be possible because it's it's just hard to see the Cardinals. You know, what happens if you let Peterson walk? You bring in Mackenzie Alexander, and suddenly your defense struggles. Um, And then I think it's kind of how you offset with the fact that officially, this is kind of like if you were in person, you'd see my finger quotes I'm making. Officially, Peterson allowed two catches for 21 yards on three targets to DK Metcalf. That doesn't count the fact that one of the times Peterson was burned for a 40-plus yard catch, it was brought back due to kind of a, a holding call. Doesn't bring in the fact that there was a wide open, I believe, touchdown that DK Metcalf dropped. There was also another pass that he dropped as well. And then you're also looking at that play that kind of never was, which was the pass interference. So really, Peterson, uh, when you're looking at the tape, looks like he got roasted in this game by Matt Calf, which is like the one thing that we said, hey, this is great, Patrick Peterson, like the one thing he can do is shut down DK Matt Calf two times a year. That's, that's good enough for me. 
if that's not going to be the case anymore, then the Cardinals have to figure out how they're going to be able to defend that. But also, John, they have to figure out how they're going to be able to attack it because uh, the offense in this passing game, I think that's one of the things we'll have to watch down the stretch as we kind of wrap up finishing up our talk on the Cardinals game here. You're going to have teams that you run into who are going to stop the Cardinals rushing attack, and that means you're going to have to adjust. That's going to be on the likes of Cliff Kingsbury. Now, obviously, with Kyler Murray's shoulder injury, maybe things were a bit different. They weren't able to do what they wanted to. Maybe they didn't have as much of a deep passing game. I, I thought it was fine, but the Cardinals are going to have to adjust it somewhat and be able to be a team that isn't just run-dependent. You've got to be able to run and pass the ball and from what we've seen for the most part right now, the Cardinals just aren't quite developed there. Kyler looked a bit lost at first overall, didn't seem to trust things downfield. And the Cardinals offensive line got whipped by four guys up front. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Carlos Dunlap right now may be a very defining signing for the Seahawks. He's already looked, I think he's got like, what is it, like four and a half sacks or something like that with the team, or the team has had four and a half sacks, I should say. Uh, with him, and that's been a big difference for the most part, especially considering that um, the Cardinals' move is Marcus Golden, who is, we've, we've talked about, John, great pass rusher, not great at containing the run, containing quarterbacks. There are times he'll be able to get caught getting too far upfield, and teams will be able to run it on him. I'm just kind of curious, as we wrap up today with this episode, what are kind of your feelings on what are some of these things that we need to see from the Cardinals moving forward as to how best to rectify some of these weaknesses as we go in with a Kyler Murray who you know may not be 100% the rest of the season? Yeah, and just real quick to address that previous question of how do how do they get better at corner? Um, I think Kime could get creative in free agency. I think you could call up New Orleans and say this is a rebuilding franchise with all of the outstanding cap commitments that they have. You know what would it take to secure a Marshawn Lattimore? Maybe you could get Sandy. Or excuse me, the Chargers on the phone. Maybe talk a little Casey Award, who hasn't played great this year. But I'm confident that Kime could find a couple bodies to, to come in and play up to Peterson's level this year. Um, but you're right. You can't rely on a, on a corner unless it's, you know, a generational kind of player to come in and play well right away. But at, at some point they're going to have to invest in that position. Um, and goodness, you, you spent the 33rd overall pick on Byron Murphy. I, I think that at some point he's got to be able to take the reins on opposing top receivers, even if it's, primarily in the in the slot um so that's that's the first part uh to my response but um to, to your to your second point Blake what, what I'll just say with this team is I am I am confident enough in their ability to to stabilize what they do offensively because I've seen them do it uh, I saw them do it in the second half of last year the players are all here they have no excuses from a personnel standpoint and I just I know that, that Kyler is at a different level than he was a year ago. And I, you know, Kenyon Drake's playing for a contract. You've got a lot of guys with a lot of things on the line. Christian Kirk's never played better football. You know, say what you want about Dan Arnold's struggles last week. He's been playing really well for this team and, and is a factor in the passing game. And I do think the offensive line is going to have a bounce back against New England. To me, my biggest concern is just the aforementioned lack of an ability to stop the run defensively. And if that is an issue we are going to see this team just get dominated at the point of attack and time of possession. Um, and so they've, they've brought in a couple guys from the outside. They're moving some people around. I just, I'm concerned with that being a consistent theme um, unless they can mask it. I think their pass defense, Blake, is actually better than I thought it would be. Um, and I think even with the one to two week with injury with Jalen Thompson, 
I think they're fairly deep there. They're not great, but they're not an embarrassment in their secondary. And, and certainly with Buda back there and Isaiah Simmons now being a factor as an inside linebacker, I think they're fine against the pass. It's like you mentioned, can they rush the passer and can they stop the run? Marcus Golden, to me, he had three quarterback hits last week. He's around the football. Um, and I would argue that for people who are pounding their table, there are a couple guys that I just want to highlight as just disappointments this year. And I don't mean to end the pot on a negative note. Devondre Campbell has been what we thought, kind of middling inside linebacker, shown some flashes, um, certainly capable. I think that's been a successful signing. Outside of that, you've got a guy in Devon Kennard who's been uh, missing in action really since week two. I know he's been hurt. He's got two sacks on the year. I think a lot of people thought he was going to come in and have a, the kind of impact season that Reddick is having. He is not. And then Jordan Phillips, who's on and off the injury report. We're not going to see him for at least another three weeks. There's speculation, Blake, that he could be done for the year with a bad hamstring. Those two guys in particular are, to me, the biggest disappointments defensively because you get you gave them nice contracts. Those are multi-year contract guys that you thought you'd be able not to build around necessarily, but help change the culture of a front seven that Vance Joseph wanted to rebuild. And they just the impact is not there yet. And when we're on the stretch run here of, of games they need to win, I look at these defenses the Cardinals are going to face, even with the Rams defense playing well. I don't think there's anybody who can stop Kyler Murray in this offense when they want to be great. But goodness, there there are a lot of there are a lot of teams that scare me offensively of what they could do to this Cardinal defense that not only we we feel like is lacking from a coaching standpoint, but just personnel wise. They, do you have the horses or do you not have the horses? And I just think that they are too pedestrian on the defensive line. And at certain points of the game, they're too pedestrian at linebacker. And so um, I'm hopeful. And if Kyler Murray in the offense can come out and start with more sense of urgency, take a lead for once, show that, you know, you're going to jump out, maybe ask to get the football first, you know, on a given week, stop deferring to your defense that has trouble getting stops you put the pressure on the opposing offense to, to maybe abandon the run sooner than they want to. Um, and certainly with a team like New England that, that has a difficulty throwing the football, four touchdowns on the year passing, I just think that it's imperative that this team needs to start fast in Foxborough. I'd agree. A fast start is something being able to not. The Cardinals have played from behind in most every game this year for the most part. Uh, that's not going to work against some of these other teams, at least for that one, like the fast starts, like the Rams, or even if we watch them go, you know, down 14 to 7 to the Seahawks. It felt like they got punched in the face. Fortunately, they are going to be getting a bit of help in that run defense. It's been bad for them. Uh, you got Domata, what is it? Domata Pico has been signed by the team, or is it Pecco? Either way, the uh, Cardinals have signed a 15 year veteran defensive tackle that should help. They're also bringing back Zach Allen off of the uh, IR. He's been out for, you have to be out at least three games before you can come back. Hopefully, we'll see a bit more of Rashard Lawrence and Lucky Foe too this season, but at least uh, Pecco with. The fact that you've got Corey Peters out for the season now, you're bringing in at least a veteran presence on the defensive line. I'd expect that to help the Cardinals tremendously in their rushing attack. Uh, that'll be it for this episode of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll be back for you on Friday with a bit of a preview of the Patriots game. So far, we haven't heard any news as far as with the Cardinals as uh, COVID goes. Um, we'll try to update that throughout the week if we can. Right now, there's only one player in Deontay Thompson who is on said COVID list. Uh, otherwise, it seems like things should probably be a decent go for Foxborough. We'll be coming off of a Thanksgiving weekend. So hopefully you guys will look forward to us on Friday. 
uh, get a little bit of that Black Friday shopping done, hopefully from, you know, some of the safety of your own home or getting stuff picked up, at least if you are going to go out, uh, getting that picked up on the curve make sure you're staying safe during the holiday season. Uh, you can follow Revenge of the Birds on Twitter at ROTB pod, as well as at revenge of the birds.com. Uh, Johnny, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, I'm at Johnny Venerable on Twitter, of course, here on the ROTB podcast every week with Blake and then RevengeOfTheBirds.com. I also do a live Periscope postgame show for all things Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Blake, where can they find your tremendous content? Uh, It'll be also at RevengeOfTheBirds.com and on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Thanks again, guys. We'll be checking back in with you on Friday, preview a game against the Pats and another number one wearing quarterback who likes to run around Cam Newton. Cardinals are coming to Foxborough. We'll talk to you guys then.